Good morning. Uh, so I wanted to just introduce the, uh, this time this morning with that passage just to remind us and set our hearts where it needs to be. Um, just as we continue in through our series this morning and really just in light of uh, news that happened this week, uh, I had lots of meetings this week with the, the network, some of our leaders, just conversations. Um, and so something I picked up on is that there's all kinds of opinions and information on how we should handle um, just our government, our authorities, the church, uh, whatever it is. Uh, and so, um, so I just thought that just being reminded um, that whatever we're called to do, we're called to do it um, with the purpose of being a light in a world that's so dark. Right? No matter what, what it is we do, uh, how we do it, we just have to remember um, why we do what we do. And, and so um, that's really the point of this whole series um, is just to refocus our minds um, just on, on the fact that it's God's world and, and to be reminded of what he asks us to do with it. And so, um, so we're in week three in that series now on stewardship, and we've been asking that question, right? What does God want us to do with his world? And, and so week one, we just focused in on the reality that God's both creator and master of everything, right? Deuteronomy ten fourteen, behold, the Lord your God, to him belongs the heavens and the heavens of heavens and the earth and all that's within it. And, and so we, we saw that we're just tenants of his vineyard. That was week one. And while we explore the topic, we saw what it looks like to be bad stewards and, and then the warning that's there. But we also saw that what it means to be good stewards uh, of a good master is that one of the things he asks us to steward is his grace. And so we're recipients of his grace, but we're also stewards of that grace. And then last week, we talked about what God wants us to do with his money and his resources. And we concluded that with all the things he's given us, that yes, he wants us to enjoy those things for ourselves, but he also gives us responsibility to the people uh, around us um, in his family, but also those outside of it. There's those with need that we're responsible for. There's those within the church that we're responsible for. But also, God gives us those things as gifts for us to enjoy. And so, putting all those principles together, what we found last week, ultimately, is that he wants us to be generous as he's been generous to us. And so, as, we, as we're stewards of that which is God's, we're called to be gracious and we're called to be generous. And so, each week, uh, I ultimately wanted to end with the question, does that sound like us? So, when you look at the grace that God's given to us, how gracious he is to us, does that sound like us? And when it comes to the resources that he's given us and how generous he's been to us, when we look at how we interact with the world around us, when we look at generosity, does that sound like us? And so as I prepared this series and I prepared for this week, the question I really wanted to tackle was how does God want us to use the time he's given us? That's what I had prepared in my time away. Um, and I think the best answer that I could find to that question about how God wanted us to use the time he's given us was uh, with the principle that we should be fruitful. It's the first blessing and command he gave us to be fruitful and to multiply and to subdue the earth. And so I was going to show you how that command goes so far beyond having children, but really it's our introduction to our role as stewards. And how what God does is he places us in the garden and he commissions us to spread the goodness of that garden across the globe. You know, Eden means delight, if you didn't know that. So it's the garden of delight. And so God wants the whole world to experience and delight in him and the goodness that he 
created. That's the plan and the mission and the job that he's given his stewards. And so really that plan, I don't think it's ever changed. See, he's always sought to use his people as stewards and ambassadors of that plan. So you have passages like Genesis 12 where God tells Abraham that he's going to make him fruitful and bless him so that in him all families of the earth would be blessed. And it's the same calling and it's the same blessing. And we see it repeated time and time again throughout the narrative of Scripture. And by the time we get to Christ, we see Jesus himself give the same commission. So after he paid the debt for our sin and we see his resurrection before his ascension, Jesus gives the same blessing and the same command from the garden to his people. And so Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So Christ tells his people to continue to spread what? The goodness and the blessings of his promise and his land to all nations. Model it and to make them disciples of all that he's commanded. And through that, he promises to be with them always. And so I just want us to hold on to that last part this morning as I speak that as we work his vineyard and his land, as we seek to be fruitful stewards of his grace and generosity, he promises to be with us even when that's hard. Because being good stewards and disciples of God's kingdom is hard while we live as resident aliens in a foreign land, when you live in those dark places that we were reminded of in Philippians 2. And so instead of talking about our time as fruitful the way I had planned, what I want to do this morning is look at a story of another group of people wrestling through their dual citizenship and how God used them as ambassadors of his kingdom while they lived in another. And so I want to do that this morning, like I said, because I spent this last week wrestling with that question myself. And as I prepared to speak on one topic, I really think God is preparing me for this one. And so listen, with the last year that we had with the new mandates uh, given to us this week, I've heard so many diverse opinions on how God's people should respond. And so far, if I'm honest, I've often been uh, disappointed in how few of those opinions seem to be surrounded or just focused on the word of God. And so this morning, I don't seek to give you an answer on how you should respond to any mandate given to you by the nation or any other authority, but only to point you to where that answer has to come from. So this morning, as we read and discover the principles that God teaches us, I invite you to wrestle with them and to humbly ask God for the wisdom in how to apply these principles in your life. So my goal this morning, to be clear, is only to present you with the truth and to trust God to give you the wisdom in how that applies. So with that, let's open our Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Daniel this morning, and we'll begin in verse 1. It's also on the screen. So in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So God gives Judah over to Babylon. God gives Judah over to Babylon. 
how could he allow his people to be taken like that? Why would God allow that? I think that's a valid question to ask. And I think on our story so far, it's too early to tell, but I believe if we keep going, we'll discover the answer. And more, I think Jesus clearly gives a response to this type of question when we read passages found in Matthew, like, like those found in Matthew chapter 10. So this is what verse 16 through 18 says. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So Philippians 2, right? It can be a dark world. It's a broken world, but we're to be light there. Jesus tells us here, we're, we're put in those places. We're put in those places to face terrible things, but when it's for his sake, it's to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So sometimes God places his sheep among wolves, and sometimes it's dangerous, and sometimes it's painful, but it also has purpose in fulfilling the command to be his witness among the nations. It's part of that blessing and commission that we were given. And if you read just a bit further in Matthew, Jesus gives the same promise that even in those hard times that he goes with you. And so principle number one this morning is that even though sometimes God places his sheep among wolves, always he goes with you. Let's keep reading in Daniel. Verse 3, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people to Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And so they were educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, all of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the units gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So just to review, God sends his people into the nation of Babylon. He places his people among wolves. And it's not easy because these people are stripped of their homes. They're brought to a new land, taken from their families, forced to adopt a new culture, forced to learn and speak a new language, forced to take on new names and assigned positions to serve the very people who took everything from them. Have you ever had something taken from you? Have you ever had an authority strip you of something you once had or asked you to submit to something that you felt unjust? How on earth does God want us to respond to that? So if it were up to me, I can tell you exactly how I'd like to respond and exactly where I would tell them to stick the new name, but at the same time, appreciating the significance of the danger that they were under in that situation, the devastation of losing so much, I just don't know if that's how I would respond. But looking at these men, I can see how they responded, and they went where they were told to go, 
and they learned what they were asked to learn, and they spoke what they were told to speak, and they worked where they were told to work, and they took the names they were told to take. But at the same time, verse 8, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So these men surrendered their entire identities to the nation that ruled over them until they were told to surrender their faith or obedience to God. They took the names, the language, the jobs. They gave up their homes, their freedoms, everything except that which God had instructed them to keep. And in that, I think we have two more principles to consider this morning. First, that we're called to be submissive to the authorities that God's placed over us. And second, that we must always remember our citizenship to God's kingdom first. And so in this first principle, we see something. That being a good citizen of God's kingdom requires us to be submissive or good citizens of earth's. And listen, I don't think that should be news to us. From Israel's time in Egypt to Assyria, to Babylon, to Rome, God has always instructed his people to be good citizens of whatever kingdom they were placed in. And I can point you to passage after passage in the Old Testament or letters to the churches in the New that I think prove that point. But this morning, I just want to read briefly from Paul's letter to Rome as he tells us or them how to respond to leaders like Nero who, if you don't know his relationship to the church, I encourage you to Google that this week. So listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 13 in speaking to a people who live under Nero's rule. He says, Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good contact, but to bad conduct, sorry. Would you have no fear of one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of your conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. So pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So I think Paul points out something that's really easy to miss in Daniel chapter 1, and it's that God is the one who places these powers in place. So now the authority that we submit to isn't theirs, but God's. And in this passage, Paul calls the governing authorities ministers of God. When he uses the word servant, it's the same word we use for deacons. Which is amazing to me that Paul claims that our governing authorities are our spiritual office. And as such, they're owed our respect and honor. And Paul goes as far as to say that to, do, to resist them is to resist what God has appointed. And so by this point, I know so many of us are asking, yes, but where's the line? 
Like, when is it time to resist? When is it time to stand against and to say no? And I think that's where verse 8 gives us that answer. See, for Daniel and for the faithful with him, they submitted themselves to an awful lot that I would call unjust. They submitted and subjected themselves to injustice, but when asked to sin against God and his law, that's when they drew their line. That's when their citizenship to God's kingdom met head-on with Babylon's, and that's when they made their stance. Listen, we're called to be good citizens of God's kingdom by being good citizens of earth, but God's law always comes first. We're called to be good citizens of God's kingdom by being good citizens of earth, but God's law always comes first. And as we continue to read chapter 1, we see that the decisions that they make to follow God also require sacrifice. See, in order to be faithful to God in their new positions, it meant that they had to give up their diet and adopt one of water and vegetables instead of eating the food that the king gave them because it didn't meet up with the law of God. And who wants to sign up for that diet this morning? Maybe some of us, but not me. Water and vegetables. So these men give up all the things that they're forced to give up, but then they voluntarily give up other things in faithfulness to God, and it's not easy. These men are called to submit to the government that took everything, but when asked to give up their identities as followers of God, they refuse, and it put them in danger. But ultimately, God rescued them and blessed them for their faithfulness. Look at verse 17 through 19. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. These four men submitted to God by submitting to the authorities that he placed over them even when it was uncomfortable, even when it was unjust, but not when it was unfaithful. They entrusted themselves to God, and he gave them wisdom and understanding. God used their faithful obedience to place them exactly where he wanted them to be. They were good stewards, and for that, God made them great ambassadors. And as we move to chapter 2, we find the first of many visions that you'll see in the book of Daniel. This one seen by the king of Babylon, and it's a dream about a statue made of four types of metal, all representing different kingdoms, the, the head made of gold being Babylon. And in this vision, the statue gets destroyed by this huge rock or meteor that comes crashing in and becomes a mountain. That, that meteor, that, that rock becomes a mountain. And as the story goes on, the king seeks to answer what exactly this vision means, but none in his court could interpret. And so in danger of death, if they fail, Daniel and his friends seek God for wisdom and how to respond to this new command and challenge from the king of Babylon. Chapter 2, verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So when Daniel and his companions were asked to do something that seemed impossible, when, when the answer to their dilemma seemed unclear, they sought the Lord and he answered them. 
here's what I, I want to take away from chapter 2, that when things are unclear, ask God. Listen to this, James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Daniel is given wisdom and understanding by God to interpret the dream. He doesn't have the answers. He doesn't know how to respond, but he seeks God in mercy and asks for wisdom, and God responds. And here's what the response was. Here's what the dream meant. That God has given earthly kings and rulers authority over men and beasts of the field and birds of the heaven, but they've forgotten that it was God who gave it to them. They forgot what we learned in week one. These rulers were bad tenants, and because of that, one day the God of heaven will destroy those kingdoms and set up one that will never be destroyed and that will stand forever. That's chapter 2, verse 36 through 35. So God uses Daniel's faithfulness to make him a steward and ambassador of God's kingdom, to preach both the warning in that message and a message of hope to all who would trust in this God, the God of heaven. That despite the fallen nature of the nations that rule now, we have a God who will rule forever and without flaw. That's the vision. Chapter 2 ends with Daniel and his colleagues being promoted over all of the province of Babylon and Daniel stands in the king's court. So, midpoint recap for this morning. We've seen that from the garden to Christ's ascension, the blessings and commands he's given his people as stewards have never changed. Whether it was in a garden or a vineyard, a land or a nation, God has always called his people to be representatives wherever they are. He's always called us to be his voice and his presence there. And as his ambassadors, he's called us to be good citizens of his kingdom by being good citizens of earth's. God calls us to submit to his authorities by submitting to the authority of those he's placed over us, but he also draws a line so that we remember that his kingdom always comes first. We're called to be good citizens until or unless it makes us bad Christians. That's the line. So listen, sometimes that's not easy. It, sometimes it's not easy to know what we should do. Sometimes the answer is unclear and that line seems really blurred. In those moments, I think what we see in this story is that we should seek God for wisdom. And if we're faithful to ask and we're humble to listen, he's faithful to respond and give. And so as we enter into chapter 3, I think all of these principles are just reinforced and amplified Chapter 3 is the very familiar story of Nebuchadnezzar's golden image and the fiery furnace. And so if you don't know, here's what happens. The king has a dream, and in it, his nation is represented by gold. And despite being told that his nation would crumble because of its unfaithfulness, all he sees is that gold. And so he responds, not in repentance, but by making a huge statue of his image in gold. And as, as soon as that statue is completed, he gathers the leaders of his kingdom together and he commands all of the people of all nations and languages and peoples that when they hear the sound of the horn that they should fall down and worship. And he threatens that those who refuse to acknowledge him as God would be cast into the fire. What a cheap knockoff of what it means to be God. And so how do God's people respond? For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they paid this order no attention. Verse 12. 
They knew where that line was, and despite the very real danger of death, they stand in defiance to the government, but in obedience to God. And so in fury, the king demands to know by whose authority they reject his. Verse 16 of chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in the matter. If this be so, our God who serves is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Do you know what gets me every time I read that? It's, it's verse 18. And they say, but if not. These men have so much faith and conviction that they believe that God would deliver them. And they believe that he's so good that even if he doesn't, they're still willing to follow him, even to death. And I asked this question at the beginning of the message, and I'll ask it again. Does that sound like you? Is my faith that strong? Do I trust God enough to walk into a furnace? Or would I fight tooth and nail for what I thought was mine? Do I believe my life belongs to me or is it his? These three men entrusted their lives to God. Were bound and were thrown into a furnace so hot that those who threw them in died by proximity to the heat of the flame. But then, verse 24... King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three pound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of the fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has set his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should be torn limb from limb and their houses laid to ruin, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego certainly submitted everything to God. First, by submitting to the powers that God placed over them, and finally, by submitting their lives to God. And for it, they have a testimony to which few can compare, I'm pretty sure. They were good citizens of their lives, or stewards of their lives, because they understood that everything belonged to God. They were good citizens of God's kingdom by being good citizens of earth, but they knew where that line was. 
And when it was crossed, they set aside the king's command and they yielded their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Verse 28. So this morning, as we look at our circumstances and we ask ourselves how we should respond to the authorities and the rulers over us, we need to wrestle with stories like these and examples like these in God's word to come to our conclusions. And when the answer is unclear or unsettling, it's not enough just to know the principles we discussed this morning, but to understand why our God is worth trusting and following even into fire. And so chapter 1 and chapter 3 and chapter 6, when we survey the book of Daniel, are all examples and stories to give hope to those who suffer under unjust rule. Because in each story we find faithful people who are good citizens of the kingdom because they were good citizens of earth. But at the same time, they knew where that line was. And when it was time, they set aside that earthly kingdom's commands and they yielded their lives in submission to God. And in each story, God was with them and delivered them and exalted them, and his name was glorified for it. And as you continue to read about the rulers and nations in the narrative and the visions of Daniel, in each of these stories we find that when humans rebel against the one who gave them their authority, they become like the beasts that they were called to subdue and rule over. They become bad stewards of God's world, and because of that, God promises to return and establish his perfect kingdom and to usher in that kingdom to all who would trust in him, to, to welcome them in. And, and so in the stories that we read in Daniel and the visions that we see in Daniel, in all of them, God promises to vindicate his people and calls for us to be patient and humble as we wait for his kingdom to give its final authority over all things. So listen, um, our, our elders, we meet this Tuesday, and our liberty leaders will meet later in the week to discuss uh, and wrestle with passages like these to determine how we should respond to the current mandate that our governing authorities have put in place, but also how we'll address those moving forward. And so in advance of that decision, I just want to speak to you this morning so that you could join us in wrestling through and praying to God for wisdom and clarity on how we should respond. And like I said in the introduction, it's not my aim this morning to tell any of you how you should apply these principles in your life, only to tell you that you have to apply these principles in your life. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to submit everything to the authorities that God put over them except for the faithfulness and obedience to God. And when their governments asked them to worship another god or to deny their own, they stepped into a furnace or into a, a lion's den in belief that God would deliver them. But even if they didn't, even if God didn't, they would follow him there because they believed him to be that good and that faithful, because he promises that he'll go with us, even when it's hard. And, and so once more, my question this morning is, does that sound like you? Does that sound like us? Biblical stewardship means understanding that everything is God's and nothing is ours. It means being gracious to others and generous with the riches and resources that God's given us. 
It means being good citizens of God's kingdom by being good citizens of earth, but it also means understanding where the line is. Biblical stewardship means understanding that even our lives belong to God, but that he promises to deliver us and vindicate us, and his eternal kingdom will be for us if we're willing to trust him and follow him, even when things are difficult or dangerous. And the good news is that he's a good master, unlike those other rulers or authorities or nations that we submit to today. And he loved us enough to yield his life for ours. Why would we do any less for him? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for... I think the wisdom that you gave me this week as I prepared to speak on this subject. Uh, Lord, thanks that it's difficult and it's challenging. I say that a bit sarcastically. But Lord, I pray for all of us in this room this morning that we would see how good you are, that as we survey a book like Daniel or we read just the rest of your scriptures, that we would see how good and faithful you are. Lord, that you humbled yourself, you submitted yourself to be like us, and you submitted yourself to the cross for our sake. But in your resurrection, we see that all authority is yours. These other nations, the other powers, have no authority except that which you gave them. And so I, I earnestly pray that we would seek in wisdom to understand where your authority is in their decrees and where we're called to submit, but also that we'd have clarity on where that line is drawn, that we would be faithful to you, whether it's in our submission to other nations or in submission to your rule. And Lord, I pray that we'd have the humility to respond in obedience to you and the faith to walk where you call us to walk, even if it's into a furnace. We ask these things in your name. Amen.